Well, the Israelites came to the conclusion that the promised land was a land that was going to destroy them. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV as we study the Bible from Genesis 1 all the way through to Revelation 22 today in Numbers chapter 14. <laughs> this is really interesting. We're going to learn about this in about five minutes. Why did they think that way? What was going on? Well, we'll talk about it. Corey? Today I'm going to be taking a look at the sacrifices that Israel was to offer to God, right? Well, today I'm looking at a somewhat bizarre command from the book of Numbers that apparently even King Solomon didn't understand. Very good. Excellent. Uh, next, Janice. One word, scared. All right. Coming up in 25 minutes, Janice. She's talking about being scared. All right. Very good. Don't be scared of the Bible, guide. Get it out and turn to the page and let's open up the Bible and listen to what God is saying. Numbers 14, verses 1 through 11. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Numbers chapter 14, chapter 15, and chapter 16. We are reading the laws of God today in the passage, it is really, really something. Let me ask you a question. What is your vision for your life? What is the vision of your business, of that ministry? But what is God's vision? What is it that he has for his people? Now, in our reading today, God was finally going to honor 
his promise to Abraham and enable Abraham's descendants to take the promised lands. So spies were organized by the Israelites and sent into the land of promise. But they came back with a bad report. The task of takeover seemed absolutely impossible. Only two of the spies offered a good report, Joshua and Caleb. The damage was done, though. The people of Israel were convinced that God had brought them so the Canaanites could kill them. They were wrong. God reacted to their apostasy in anger and yet still found a way to be faithful to his promise to Abraham. You know, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the proper response to a potentially disastrous situation should be to take heart and rejoice because we know that God is faithful. We must always respond in faith and avoid responding in doubt. That's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, if you think about it, sometimes people respond in doubt because that's their natural reaction. But remember that our natural reaction is not a good reaction because to be natural is not to be right with God. To be right with God is to be a holy reaction from the divine mind. Now that becomes interesting. So how long? How long will we respond this way? Take your Bible guide and turn to this particular passage, number 14. This is interesting. And uh, you can call us or write to us if you don't have a guide or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And when you go there, click on the page. And when you click on the page, it'll take you to the donate section. Thank you for your donations. And it'll take you to a place you can download it and get the guide exactly how we printed it. And I want to thank you for doing that. That's excellent. But thank you for your donations. We appreciate them. Father, today we come to you in humility. And we pray and we say, Lord, we need to understand the disastrous situations that we may see in our lives right now are very similar to this situation that Israel saw. Help us to learn how to respond correctly and to react to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we all said together, amen. Now remember that God does not give us something that we cannot overcome. Everything in our life, God has allowed us to face. Everything. It's interesting, isn't it? Let's read Numbers 14, verse 1 to 3. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. That's what they always did. And the whole congregation said to them, If only, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Wow, this is incredible. The people of Israel saw the promised land as a place of destruction. That is unbelievable. God desires us to see his way and his promises to us as a success, not a failure, beloved. It doesn't mean that we're going to go in and there'll be no work. God has designed us and created us to work. Praise God. God desires us to work. And yet we see the work and we say, oh, we can't do that as work. Hold on a minute. God says, I've promised you something 
go work for it. And I will be with you every step of the way. Because God is telling us today, Jesus Christ is telling us, he made us holy. Jesus Christ did the work to win the battle and we need to fulfill that. Very important. We need to keep that in mind. How do you see the problems in front of you? Okay, let's go on back to verse four of chapter 14. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Bad decision. Well, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all of the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. The people of Israel rejected the leadership of God that he had put in the place and desired to make their own leader. We must keep our minds focused on God's plan and not on our own desires. Now, this is what we have to face today in a so-called democracy. We want our own leaders to do what we want. But hold on a minute. We need leaders to do what God wants, not what we want, what God wants. I'll just leave that one there because there's so many directions you could go. 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 30. Just pray about that and think about it. Very interesting. Let's go back to the scripture. Numbers chapter 14, verse six, but Joshua, the son of Nun and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then we will bring, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread, and their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Do not fear them. Very important. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Can you believe that? Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. And then the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? What a question. Man, that's a question. God lets his anger show so that Moses the leaders and the people can see the power of the Lord. You see, the Lord has a history with us. We must always remember and always acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved. God has done great things for us and we might have problems here and there, but we pray about it and ask God to help us overcome. Every single problem we've had, he has overcome. He's 100% correct all the time. 33 years we've been going through the Bible. And God has always protected us, kept us here all this time. God will keep you wherever you're at with whatever you have right now and today.
Today, I want to look at sacrifices, the sacrifices that God required of Israel as a nation to offer to him. And we see these sacrifices uh, talked about in all of the books of the law. So in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, these, these sacrifices are expounded upon. Uh, and uh, so let's look into the main categories of sacrifices, and then we'll talk a little bit about them afterwards. In the ancient Near East, religious sacrifices were extremely common. They were offered to various deities and consisted of valuable consumable resources like animals, grain, drink, and oil, as well as culturally prized items like incense, clothing, jewelry, precious metals, and stones. When thinking of the Bible, most readers will likely associate religious sacrifices with the law of God recorded in Exodus through Deuteronomy. The law limited and legislated religious sacrifices for Israel at its inception as a nation. Before this time, however, the Bible clearly reflects what history also does, that religious devotion expressed in sacrifices and offerings was already widespread. The first biblical record of offerings to God comes from Genesis 4 and the tragic lives of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel brought offerings to God, but only Abel's was accepted. Cain's jealousy and anger ended in Abel's murder. This history shows that sacrifices were apparently always a part of the human experience, at least a part of it after the moral fall of Genesis 3. The story leaves the reader with many questions. Why were Cain and Abel giving sacrifices, and where was there a special place? What exactly made Cain's offering unacceptable? Regardless, Jewish tradition points to Moses as the author-compiler of Genesis, and as Moses was delivering the law of God, including regulations about sacrifices, perhaps one of the main points is that there have always been acceptable and unacceptable sacrifices. The law of Moses then lays out an official record of what was appropriate as religious expression. There were five main offerings. The burnt offering was a way of calling on God and was accompanied by prayers. An acceptable animal would be killed, washed, and entirely burned up on the altar. The grain offering could be given alone, often accompanied burnt offerings, and could replace the animal of a burnt offering in the case of a poor worshiper. They were made either of raw, fine flour and oil or baked bread and cakes accompanied with incense. Grain offerings were partially burned on the altar, and the rest was given to the priests. The fellowship or peace offering was essentially a meal shared by God and the worshippers, symbolically representing their covenant relationship. Certain portions were burned up to God, with the worshipper and priests eating the rest of the animal. The sin offering was given to cleanse a person from sin or ritual impurity. It consisted of a specifically sacrificed animal, a portion of whom would be burned on the altar, and the rest of whom would be food for the priests. 
The purpose of the guilt offering was to make amends for mistreating any of the things of God or the people of Israel. The offerer had to reimburse for any stolen or damaged goods, and then they had to make an offering to God of an animal at the temple. I think it's really interesting to start here in the books of the law and recognize what the sacrifices were supposed to be physically. But then as we progress through the books of the Bible, we're going to see that though Israel continued to offer the sacrifices, and even sometimes in the right way, sometimes they were rejected by God. So this tells us that it wasn't just following, making the actual sacrifices uh, that was required of them. What was also required was the intent of the heart of the people. They were keep, they needed to keep the entire covenant of God, not just the sacrifice part. So later on, for example, we see the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah accusing the people of on the one hand, on the on, on one side of their lives, they're engaged in idolatry, they're worshiping idols, they're they're engaged in false practices. And then on the other hand, they're still offering all the sacrifices that God commanded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, so they think they're okay. It's not okay. The intention of the heart has to be there. And when we get into Psalms, we see that this was well known. I mean, in Psalm 51, when David is repenting of his sin, he says to God, you know, sacrifice and offering, you don't delight in, you don't require that of me, but my offering and my sacrifice to you is a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So it, it there has to be a, a level of honesty and truthfulness in the sacrifices of Israel for them to count. Yeah, that's very, very interesting, Corey. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. All right, well, I know our assigned reading today is Numbers 14 to 16, but I actually want to jump ahead a little to Numbers chapter 19, because some find this portion of Scripture to be a little bit strange. As a matter of fact, even Solomon apparently was confused over it. And that's because in Numbers 19, God gives the priests a very unusual prescription. Take a look. Though penned thousands of years ago, within the Bible, and particularly the Torah, are written several medical procedures and prescriptions far ahead of its time. One of the most fascinating examples of this is the water of purification from the sacrifice of the red heifer. In Numbers chapter 19, God instructs the priest to sacrifice with fire a red heifer without defect outside of the camp. Then the priest was to take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire, burning the heifer. Then the ashes were to be mixed with the water. Though this sacrifice is now understood to be both spiritually and physically significant, according to Jewish tradition, this seemingly bizarre command even eluded King Solomon, the man regarded as the wisest person who ever lived. Yet the wise king cannot be faulted for his bewilderment, since the event this sacrifice was typifying had not yet occurred, namely the offering up of the Son of God on a wooden cross erected in Judea. Consider, for example, that both Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, and the red heifer were without sin or blemish. Similarly, both were offered outside the camp or city walls, and the red heifer was one of the very few female sacrifices. Significantly, Jesus was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a woman and of a slave. In addition to the spiritual significance, however, is also the physical and medical significance of the water of purification. For example, we now know that this water-cedar hyssop solution was in fact a type of soap. The cedar oil contained in this solution, which came from a species of juniper tree native to Israel and Sinai, 
was a skin irritant which would encourage scrubbing. The hyssop tree associated with mint, possibly majorum, would produce hyssop oil. This hyssop oil is actually a very effective antiseptic and antibacterial agent. Indeed, hyssop contains the antiseptic thymol, which is the active ingredient in Listerine. Even the author of Hebrews recognized both the medical and spiritual significance of this passage. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Both the spiritual and medical foresight confirm what the Bible claims of itself, that it is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So really, we can't fault Solomon for not understanding this command since the event it was foreshadowing was many, many years in the future. But isn't it significant too that this water of purification was a type of soap? As I mentioned at the end of the segment, both the spiritual and medical foresight confirm what the Bible claims of itself that it is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That according to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I mean, all you have to do is examine the medical practices and procedures of the cultures surrounding the Israelites to see that the biblical prescriptions are based upon a superior knowledge. And if you want to study th this particular topic further, then I really want to recommend to you a book by the late Dr. S.I. McMillan called None of These Diseases. And None of These Diseases is a great book. I've read it four times. I'll, re I'll read it again. It's a great book and I strongly recommend it. Great segment, Ryan. Janice? I called this Scared because we have Israel now refusing to enter Canaan. They're refusing to enter the promised land that God had promised to Abraham hundreds of years before. If we back up one verse, verse 33 of uh, Numbers chapter 13, the spies that they sent in, 10 of them came back and the end of it was, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from giants and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in, in their sight and the people are terrified. They're scared and they're, well, we can't go in there. We're not going to go in there. And this whole chapter is just so very interesting. And I thought too, isn't it interesting to recognize that often when we're depressed or we're afraid that we tend to focus on the negative side of things and on those circumstances rather than turn our hearts and our minds to God who is our source of hope and our source of deliverance. And you know what? It's easy for me to sit here and talk that way. It's more difficult when we are in those circumstances. But when we are in those circumstances, we need to remember to try not to dwell on the things that are the negative. We have two men, Joshua and Caleb, who rose up and said, people, people, wait. God is on our side. They even said, only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Well, that pep talk did nothing for the people at this point. In fact, they said, let's stone them. We, 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 we don't even want to listen to Joshua and Caleb. We are so overcome by fear and anxiety that we can't even hear the truth. We don't, we, we don't want to hear that. And, and so today, you know, I, I look and I see the, that the people asked questions. 
They said, they directed these questions at Moses and Aaron. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and our children should become victims? Listen to that question. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Very interesting questions that these people would direct to Moses and Aaron. And very interesting for Aaron and Moses to hear these questions, to be able to deal in their own hearts with what is the answer to these questions. When you are living your life for Jesus Christ and you have people that will confront you, well, why is there evil in the world then? Well, why is there this or why is there that? And they challenge you. What is it inside of your heart? Are you in agreement with that? We really need to challenge ourselves with these questions and know how to deal with what's going on in our hearts and with the hearts in in the culture because these are legitimate questions in legitimate times, in legitimate circumstances that happen. When all things look like disaster, the hope of the believer in Jesus Christ not comes in that we can fix the situation, but that we can go to the one that we know can control the situation, that controls our tomorrow, that knows what comes in the future, not that we have control over it, but that we can rest assured knowing that our God is faithful, that he is our hope, that he is our deliverer. God asked questions of Moses after all of this. Interesting, because does God not know the answer? It was like when he went into the garden after Adam and Eve had sinned and he was asking, where are you and what have you done? God already knows. God already knows what we have done. He already knows our responses, but oftentimes he likes to ask questions and you'll see that throughout the Bible as we read it. Questions are introduced so that we are challenged with what do we really believe? Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? Oh, they think you're Elijah. Oh, they think you're one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? They were confronted individually and that's what we need to do today as well. We need to be challenged by what the Word of God says. God asked questions of Moses about the people. He said, how long will these people reject me? God already knew. And how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? Isn't it interesting? It provoked Moses to think of a response and to be able to know where his own heart stood and what he had seen God do needs to do the same for us. Those of us who have followed the Lord Jesus, those of you who are new to following the Lord Jesus Christ, it's good to be challenged by God's word. It's good to be be faced with these truths and, and to ask God to be actively involved in our life, to put the word of God in our hearts so that we know how to follow God and he will help us to do that. I want to encourage you at the end of the program to recognize that on YouTube, we have Pastor Rod Hembry. That's a place where we have a new program called Beyond the Call. It's a program about testimonies and I want to encourage you to watch it. Go there and check it out and uh, we'll be revealing those a couple of times through the month. You'll enjoy it and it's really great. But today I need to say, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you and I want to remember how you've always helped me. So help me today, Lord, in Jesus' name. 